Ladies and gentlemen, it is my privilege and honor to officially introduce for the first time graduating class of... This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. So here we are at the end of our journey. And as we approach the 35-year mark, 35 years? It's already the 35th anniversary of the class of 1989? Class reunions come very, very quickly. Oh my God. Wow, I'm unaware. But it sounds like this is a perfect opportunity to ask the question. Where are they now? Where are they now? Well, let's start with Lean On Me. Lean on me. What is the legacy of Lean on me? What do we talk about Lean on me in 2023? I mean, of course, we have the evergreen subgenre of film which is about educators educators making a making a difference with the kids with the kids with the kids doing it for the kids doing it for the kids you know there have been films many films that have that have followed in this wake never mind the movies that came before sure like to serve with love from 1967 with Sidney Poitier teaching a class of unruly high school Brits he tried to do it again getting a piece of the action in 1977 with his pal Bill Cosby as they taught some youth center youths the difference between right and wrong. But then after 1989, you get the Michelle Pfeiffer movie, Dangerous Minds, from 1995, which comes out funny enough the same year as Mr. Holland's opus starring Richard Dreyfuss. And let's be fair, Lean On Me hits theaters a year after Edward James almost scores in the true life story of teacher Jaime Escalante in Stand and Deliver. But I really think that the legacy of Lean On Me is an attempt to be more realistic in the depiction of what is happening in the inner city. Like, I'm not gonna say that those things did not happen in those schools, but the way that it is dramatized sure, in that movie sure. is 
definitely over over the top. Sure. Even though Joe Carter, he was quite a character. Yes. And it is a concept that continues to resonate. It's it's only been in the past few years that LeBron James was trying to develop a project based on Lean On Me. And then certainly one of the main through lines of our entire project is in Lean On Me, and that would, of course, be Morgan Freeman. And certainly this is part of his legacy. I want all of you to look at this slovenly, sloppy boy here as an example of how not to dress. Now, if you look like this when you look in your mirrors in the morning, find something else to put on. Self-respect permeates every aspect of your lives. If you don't have it for yourselves, you're not gonna get it from anywhere. Morgan Freeman would go on from 89 and continue to be one of the more accomplished and hardest working sure. uh, people on showbiz. He showed up everywhere. But I would say that 1989, not so much because of Lean On Me, but because of two other films that we'll talk about in 89, I think they progressed his development into the sage old black man in movies a few years premature. Well, I think the the difference between Lean On Me and the other two projects, he's a lot more, for lack of a better word, virile in, in, lean, in on lean On Me. Yeah. Like, like he's a very active, mm -hmm. athletic presence as opposed to, whereas, as you say, he seems to be aged. Yeah. Which is a mode that, you see Morgan Freeman in mm -hmm. almost exclusively after this. Pretty much, pretty much. It, it's hard to imagine that it wasn't not that long before this movie that he was up for an Academy Award from Street Smart. Exactly. Where he plays like this cool, uh, is he a pimp? Yeah, oh, he's a pimp. A straight up pimp. Yeah, he's a pimp movie. and like, a very aggressive, vicious one. You did fine. <laughs> hey, I thought you guys were great. Who you think you patronizing now? She might take that shit, man. I don't. I don't have to go to Harvard to know what you're doing. You know what I'm trying to say to you, man? Do you? Yes, you do. Well, then shut the fuck up. A role you cannot see Morgan Freeman in today. You don't tell me how people react to me. I know what people are doing no matter what they say. Because I read minds, you dig? I don't take no shit off of you. Lying through your fucking teeth. I know it, you know it, and this fucking don't know it. Come on, leave him alone. Yeah? Yeah? Nice over. Come on. What are you doing? Whatever the fuck I want. And Street Smart is 1987. So, absolutely. Speaking of legacies and, and, and legacies with elder statesmen, certainly one of the great parts of the legacy of Harlem Knights is you have this documented footage of these legends mm -hmm. in one place mm -hmm. that we all can go back to. Yeah, yeah. You got Eddie Murphy um, riffing with his inspirations. Yeah. In Red Fox and uh, and even more so, of course, the great Richard Pryor. Sure. Um and also, you know, going one-on-one -on -one with Della Reese. Sure. First of all, one of the 
legacies or impactful things about this film is for this to be pretty close to the end for both Richard Pryor and Red Fox. Absolutely. Um, This will certainly be the last time we will see a really strong or or even reasonably strong Richard Pryor. Sure. Uh, His his physical condition would diminish uh, very rapidly. And because of their chemistry Mm -hmm. in this film, this led to the very short-lived sitcom with Della Reese and Red Fox, where where tragically Red Fox died on the set. Right. Was that the royal family? The royal family. We're not shooting. We're rehearsing a scene. And uh, of course they sent someone to walk back. And this man says, where is Red? And I said, he's having an interview with entertainment tonight. I said, but he doesn't have any lines here. He just has to walk. If he's supposed to walk past, he should be in here to walk past. Della Reese relates that tragic story about her friend for the archive of American television in 2011. And when Red gets out there and finds out all he has to do is walk across the back of this that anybody could have done, he becomes livid and he falls. Well, he was always doing pratfalls. And I thought that's what he did. Everybody thought that's what he did. And he was laying on the floor and I leaned down to him and I put my hands on him. He said, get my wife, get my wife, get my wife, get my I said, somebody get paramedics and somebody go get Mrs. Fox. And they went and got her and they pronounced him dead. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The other thing is that this is Eddie Murphy at the height of his powers, putting his friends on in this movie. You talk about Robin Harris, who's a, a protege of his, his brother, Charlie Murphy, Arsenio Hall, also in this film. But it is still very much an Eddie Murphy joint. He, yeah. He, he wrote the story. He directs the film. This is his only directorial product. Right. To this day. I'm not going to say it's the, the most smartly directed film, but it definitely has a confidence to it. And you could talk about the legacy of Eddie Murphy as a Black comedian top line of movies going forward as other comedians follow in his wake. Eddie Murphy proves to be the most generous on screen. Yeah, You see that on play here in Harlem Nights. We've certainly talked about how he has been generous in some of his other works as well, most notably Boomerang. 
Right, where right. You're pretty much just a straight guy. Right, right. And it's a lesson that I don't think the comedians who have followed in his wake to to try and become the quote unquote next Eddie Murphy, your Martin Lawrence, your Damon Wayans, your Chris Rocks. I don't think it's a lesson any of them ever learn. And I actually just think that that speaks to the greatness of Eddie Murphy. There's charisma and then there's Eddie Murphy. Right. And speaking of of just legacy and where are you now, I, I think the one thing that is noticeable about the bigger Eddie Murphy projects of the past decade, whether you're talking about Eddie Murphy in Dreamgirls or Eddie Murphy in Dolomite Is My Name or Eddie Murphy in, in the sequel to another classic Eddie Murphy film from around this period coming, coming to, to America. America. I, I think there is, regardless of the varying degrees of success of these films, mm-hmm. this line that connects them of this generosity yeah. that you speak of, where in all of these projects, you see moments where Eddie Murphy allows other people to have the spotlight yeah. and have the stage. And, and I think you're right. You can... In many ways, you can trace it to Harlem Night. Quick! <laughs> I'm gonna kill you, quick! <laughs> you made me shoot one of my boys in the back of the head! <laughs> and I know you had something to do with what happened to my brother, quick! Yo, man, I don't know what you're talking about! That's bullshit, man! You know what I'm talking about! <laughs> And speaking of sharing the stage, we have to talk about Glory, which features two phenomenal actors going at it. And at three, if you want to throw in Matthew Broderick in the lead role, but Morgan Freeman and Denzel Washington, a young Denzel Washington, still learning yeah. how to smolder on screen, mm-hmm. right? In a film that has become iconic because it is one of the, the great war movies of all time, but it has possibly Denzel Washington's most iconic scene in it. Certainly. Single tier. That single tear. It speaks volume of the filmmaking that that scene is indelibly etched in the Mount Rushmore of great scenes. Sure. What can you really say about the legacy of Denzel Washington? Mm-hmm. In many ways, from this performance. Like this is one of the performances, much like we talk about Morgan Freeman in this year. This is one of the performances that launches Denzel Washington mm-hmm. as Denzel Washington, the icon. Well, I ain't much about no friend now. Well, All right. Uh, never had no family. Killed off my mama. Well. <laughs> you feel funny, right? Yeah, yeah. Come on, all right. Come on, yeah. Come on man. You doing fine. Mm-hmm. Y'all's the only family I got. 
Well, that's all right. I love the 54. Right. Ain't much a matter what happens tomorrow. But we men ain't. Yes, there is always an appetite for historical dramas. But I think in retrospect, as we kind of deal with this post Nicole Hannah Jones, Ta-Nehisi Coates, 1619 critical race theory mania topsy-turvy world that we live in now you have to admire the bravery of a film like glory that depicts this moment in history mm -hmm. that doesn't have a happy ending no that either. that shows some of the ugliness that these men had to go through even though it, it is through the eyes of this white officer like in many ways this is a is is the type of unapologetic depiction of the past that you don't necessarily get a lot of anymore. No, you don't. No, you don't. And it's smart on them, the filmmakers, to, as we talked about with uh, Carla Brothers on, on the episode, smart of them to realize that the love story that had been written into the script, it, it wasn't necessary. Right. Because it took your eye off where you wanted to be. You wanted to be with the with the 54th Black Regiment. Right. That's where you wanted to be. Um, and you lived in the trenches with them. Every one of them. You know, we haven't even mentioned Andre Brower doing oh, phenomenal oh, work in this yeah. film as well. This is one of the films alongside Saving Private Ryan that war movies ever since this is their North Star. Look, to your point, I think these films have aged in varying degrees, but Glory definitely has aged well. It is a film worth returning to outside of a historical context, appropriately enough. Mm -hmm. You know, just as a as as a snapshot of this moment. Yeah. Speaking of aging not well, we come to Driving Miss Daisy. It bears repeating, winner of the Academy Award for Best Picture for 1989. Yes. Starring Jessica Tandy, also Morgan Freeman. I think this is the film that cemented Morgan Freeman. Absolutely. As the wise Negro. Absolutely. Certainly you get a version of that in glory. Mm -hmm. But this is the moment. Yeah, this is the This mo is the moment this is, this right is, here. This is it. Hope yeah. is the role. And... What can you say about this movie, except as history has shown us, these type of slights to the Black experience, to Black art, to Black masterpieces continue to happen and will continue to happen. Um, fast forward from 1989 to Green Book. Once again, here are the nominees for Best Picture. Black Panther, Black Klansman, Bohemian Rhapsody, The Favorite, Green Book, Roma, 
a star is born. Vice. Oh, and the Oscar goes to Green Book. And and I think you skipped over the help. Uh, but I don't think the help won for best. No, I'm just talking but about Hollywood about. returning to this this really, frankly, a historical well. Mm-hmm. Like this is just not what happened. But I have to say, love it or hate it, and frankly, I hate this film. You cannot deny this is a film that continues to evoke emotions, mm-hmm. evoke strong emotions mm-hmm. from people. This is a film that a large part of the American public still has an appetite for. I know the play that the film was based on had a revival in the past five or six years with James Earl Jones mm-hmm. in the Hope character. So regardless of your personal feelings for this film, and again, I have very strong feelings about this film, I would never deny this film's importance or its legacy. I am a fan of this film. Right. I'm a fan because I'm a fan of the storytelling. I'm a fan of the performances, but I do uh, acknowledge the messiness of it. Mm-hmm. Its legacy is that it gets disregarded at hand. Now there are probably more people who haven't seen it and just know it as this either punchline right. or oh my God, that beat do the right thing. I agree. Picture. I agree with you. To be frank, ladies and gentlemen, it did not beat do the right thing. For no, best it, picture no, it did not. Because <laughs> do the right thing was not, was not nominated. Do the right thing for was not picture. nominated. It beat the other films that were nominated. Yes. Do the right thing was not invited to the party. It was not. The irony, of course, is that when we talk about the legacy of these films, when we talk about the films that have aged the most gracefully. If we talk about the films that have have gained prestige Mm -hmm. as time has gone on from 1989, I don't think anyone can deny that Do the Right Thing is the film that not only was the most likely to succeed, but succeeded. Oh, yeah. They came back for the um, class reunion, high-stepping, you know, limo, bottle service, do the right thing, has been heralded as one of the greatest films of all time by the American Film Institute. Sure, sure. And and that's just one yeah. of the many accolades that it has received since 1989. This is a film that cemented Spike Lee's reputation mm-hmm. as a filmmaker of note. Mm-hmm. as a master filmmaker. And certainly he has had a very productive career yes, since yes. this. He's, he, is, he has, much like Eddie Murphy, I would argue, really gracefully moved into this elder statesman role. As of late. Yes, As of I late. I say that, most you, you know, so. But most certainly. But he has made some of the most seminal movies of, over the last, 35 years. Absolutely. This is not someone who rested on his laurels after Do the Right Thing. No, he did not. And he paid it forward by introducing into the Hollywood sphere creatives such as cinematographer 
Ernest Dickerson. Absolutely. And Academy Award winning costume designer Ruth Carter. Absolutely. And that's just the name too. And mm -hmm. and never mind just all the people that he routinely would, would work with. Sure. Who became kind of like part of the Spike Lee repertory theater. Sure. If you will. Sure. In all of his films. At times in reading interviews with him, I have felt like, uh, Spike, yeah, did you did you really mean that? But you're saying it with your chest, and I can't be mad at you, at you for that. He is and an, he is 100% his own man. He has always been a man of great passion. Mm -hmm. He has always been a man that has never bitten his tongue. And when that passion and when that fire is honed, sometimes you get films like Do the Right Thing. That's true. So Always interested in what's next with uh, Spike Lee, even if I, you know, sometimes I don't agree with all of his films. I love the Black Klansman. Sure. Uh, the Five Bloods, I could, you know, take a leave. Sure. Um, but I'm always interested in what's next. And uh, you're always interested in what's next. I could give a f about money. You see this fucking place? I built this fucking place with my bare hands. Every light socket, every piece of tile, me with these fucking hands. You know what the f that means? Yeah, it means pay me my mother money that's what it means so. speaking of of the more things change if you will it, it's it's almost like the narrative wrote itself as we talked about doing the where are they now and what are the legacy and 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 certainly the journey that we've had as we've put together this project with Usain palsy mm -hmm. and a dry white season and the role that black women directors have had to almost force their way into and make their own place at the table. Yeah. yeah. And Usain Palsy at this moment making this film. And and I think the legacy of, of this moment is all of the wonderful Black women directors that have followed in her wake that we talk about. But the other side of that is all of these wonderful Black women directors who do not get the credit they should get. We've talked about more than a few of them here on, on the Michelle Mission. I immediately think of Cheryl Dunier. Sure. Um, the director of The Watermelon Woman. Mm-hmm. We both are huge fans of Nia DaCosta, director of the Candyman remake and one of our favorite films of the last few years, Little Woods with Tessa Thompson. And of course, Following immediately in the wake of Usain Palsy, you had Cassie Lemons yes. doing great work, Ava DuVernay, and of course, Julie Dash. Julie Dash. Goes without saying from the great uh, LA Rebellion. I love the door, speaking about Ava DuVernay, I love the door that she opened up for a lot of Black directors with her projects as her statue rose. She intentionally shared the spotlight by using only women directors, including Dash and Dunier, on her breakthrough TV venture, Queen Sugar. DuVernay elevated other prominent filmmakers, such as Demaine Davis, who gave us the indie thriller Lift in 2001, and Stacey Muhammad, who's worked on The Best Man, The Final Chapters, and Amazon's delightful comedy, Harlem, which I really like. In fact, it was on Queen Sugar where I found out that the actress Sally Richardson Whitfield had moved from in front of the camera to behind the camera 
as a director. And now, lo and behold, she is not only directing, but executive producing on HBO's The Gilded Age, another show that I like. But as we tape this, we are still reeling from the snubbing of Chinuye Chukwu, the director of Till, and the great Gina Prince Bythewood for Woman King. Yeah, uh, two slights from the Academy yet again. Yet again. I uh, can't say that they were beaten for Academy Awards because they were not nominated. Because they were not nominated. Like you said, women have had to make make their lane. And the unfortunate thing is that women have, black women have also had to, to a degree, make their peace with yes. how some things are and be lifted up by the accolades that are bestowed upon them by their community. Yes. Because while Till and the Woman King were not recognized by the Academy Awards, each has received its share of accolades during the 2022-23 awards season. Danielle Detweiler's grace as Mamie Till was awarded by the Gotham Independent Film Awards, the Black Reel Awards, and the National Board of Review. While the majesty of the Woman King and its director Gina Prince-Bythewood and star Viola Davis was celebrated by the American Film Institute, the Black Film Critics Circle, and the African-American Film Critics Association, with nominations for other awards still pending for both films at the time of this recording. Absolutely. And going forward, they will have their own legacies. And they will be the heads of their own class. But here, the class of 1989, we want to thank you for joining us. We do. On this journey. Thank you. Thank you every one of you who took the time to check out our, our podcast, uh, The Class of 1989. And if you have enjoyed what you heard, you enjoyed sitting around with Vincent and I, then please check out The Michaud Mission, Two Men, One Podcast, where we review and dissect every Black film ever made. Available where you find podcasts. Class of 1989 is produced by Len Webb, Vincent Williams, and Mo Poplar. Written by Len Webb, Vincent Williams, and Mo Poplar. Edited by Len Webb. Mixed and mastered by Chris Bonilio. Production help from Jordan Aaron. Marketing by Joni Douche, Matt Keeley, and Annabella Pina. Music by Alexa Gold. Art by Tom Grillo. Special thanks to Dan Christo. And executive produced by Jeff Umbro and the podglomerate. All right, ladies and gentlemen, until next time, he's Vince, I'm Len, and in parting, we say, we'll see you when it's time to meet again. <laughs>